0: Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Katie Quigg, Paul Ramallo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Masked Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Retro Overdrive, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Keith Gasper, and Mira Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated.
1: Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the latest episode of Retro Hangover.
0: Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we do diddly dingos, doodling dongs, dawning dukes. This is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host Chris Copleen, with special guest Patrick Arthur from the Retrospectives Podcast, and as always, your host Shane. Hail to the Dick Dragon. Koski, your face your ass it's all the same to me i heard a lot of that hello everybody i've heard that quite a bit in the past couple weeks when i could actually find some time
1: yeah i'm sure you're probably sick of hearing it by now <laughs> actually <laughs> not
0: really it's not that bad we'll get into that i'm sure we will Hmm. but hi shane how are you doing
1: hey doing all right you know got some fantastic some alien blasting action out of the way recently so you know doing as good as one can it's
0: always fun to blast and how are you doing patrick it's nice to have you on the show i i appreciate that you're being here i'm glad that you made it past the intro which uh, apparently you think is trash
2: Honestly, uh, well, certainly I thought it was trash, but I got to say hearing it live (laughs) hits differently to hearing it blasting over my car radio when I've got someone in the car next to me and I kind of have to (laughs) pretend that neither of us heard it. But it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I'm a longtime listener of you guys and I love your stuff. It did take me a while to get past that intro, I admit. But uh, you, you always get into some really good discussion once you get past it. So I'm, I'm glad I, I stuck with it.
1: Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate that as well. I tell people it's it's an acquired taste, you know, but once you once you get over that speed bump, you know, it's all kind of smooth sailing from there. Or, you know, you could just skip past it i people to, to do <laughs> never, that, too. So. Never
0: skip past it. Never skip past it. <laughs> Essential <laughs> part of the experience. It is. I mean, I think that, but, you know. When we leave it in, people say that they, they move past it and they don't care for it. And then when we take it out, people are like, that was your identity. <laughs> yeah. You can never win. Who even are you now? That's the thing exactly. that defines you as a retro gaming podcast.
1: Dick Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, yeah. Which my wife has said on multiple occasions, she's just... Real enthused that that's how her husband is known, and uh, in a lot of circles, evidently. <laughs>
0: so. But he is known, isn't he?
1: <laughs> but you do know of me, yes.
0: All right, let's get this party started by doing what we usually do, as we are wont to do, by talking ah. Ah, uh, talking about the games we have been playing lately. Patrick, you're our guest this week, and guests always go first, so why don't you tell us what games you've been playing lately? So apart from uh, Duke 3D, which I've been playing over the last couple of weeks, the main game I've been playing recently
2: is the one I'm doing for my upcoming podcast, which is a Polish turn-based tactics game called Gorky 17. Hmm. It's a very weird game. Very weird. It has some of the worst RPG systems in any tactics game I've ever played, but also some <laughs> has some of the most I guess, interesting blend of survival horror with tactics. It's almost puzzle-like in its design. You control the small squad of characters and have to destroy these monstrosities. And a lot of the game is maneuvering so your guys never, ever get hit. And it's just got that bleak, nihilistic atmosphere I love from Slav games. Slav jank is secretly one of my favorite genres to indulge in, games like Pathologic, Gorky 17, uh, Stalker, Shadow of Stalker. Chernobyl. yeah, yeah. All of these games kind of tap into a far more hostile gaming space than, um, than Western or even Japanese developers tend to do. And while those games are initially very difficult to get into, they're immensely rewarding once you get the head around them. Gorky 17, even though it's a bit of an awkward and clunky mess, still has aspects about it that are fascinating to engage with today
0: nice and i really think a lot of those games we're missing a lot of those games in modern gaming it's either something that people call terrible or something people call great and just to have those b tier c tier games being present in the gaming ephemera you need those games right Mm. you just need games that that aren't great and i do appreciate you guys playing these really esoteric games which i've noticed on your show You've been playing a lot of lately because I I really haven't heard a lot of these games, so that that's some good stuff, dude.
2: Yeah, one one of the ones we've done fairly recently that really blew my mind is the Typing of the Dead. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that game. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: we definitely have. Yeah, oh, you
2: have. Have you, have you played it for your show or? not for well technically no okay
1: yeah i so say i had to think about that i'm like technically no i have played it but we 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 played uh house of the dead which uh, is of course know, yeah overkill
2: you know, yeah. Type, typing of the dead is a kind of game that it, it sounds like someone's making something up when you try and describe it to someone but i uh, <laughs> it's bloody brilliant and yeah it, it's really fun to play these these older games that are a bit more free of i guess the hype or the remember type, because you get to just dive deep into what it is that works about these games and, you know, also what doesn't work about them. But fantastic game. Enjoying Gorky 17 a lot. And I'm looking forward
0: to discussing it with my co-host. Awesome, dude. I look forward to that episode. Shane, what have you been up to?
1: oh geez all right what have i been up to uh well let's start by saying what i am no longer up to which is i have officially given up on diablo immortal (laughs) i knew that it was going to be a little bit of like a pay-to-win trash fire right from the beginning because it's a mobile game and it's also activision blizzard so it's not really a shocker by any stretch but here's the thing man i'm going to do a little bit more of an in-depth like rfr about this soon but suffice to say it has a lot of it's got good bones like the game actually is fun to play it's just trapped in this monetization model that is just choking the life out of it and the last straw that caused me to quite literally hit escape and quit the game like immediately (laughs) is when i went to the charm vendor because you can pick up charms as items in the game and i went to upgrade this charm try to get a skill bonus that was relevant to my character because fun fact the charms that you get roll random stat things that have nothing to do with your character more often than not so they're useless so you burn them for crafting materials essentially you can upgrade a charm to level five which gives you five different skill boosts not guaranteed to be relevant to your character again i need to impress that point upon everybody and you have the ability to extract one of those skills from a charm and put it onto another one. Okay. So I went to the charm vendor and I was like, okay, I have mine that's equipped. It has two out of the five skills that are useful for me. The other three are trash, but I have this other one that has a skill that I want on it. So I'll go, I'll extract it. I'll throw it on mine. And I'll slowly build this charm up to be what I want it to be. Seemed to make sense. A uh, couple of caveats with that. One, The charm needs to be ranked all the way up to level five before you can extract something from it, which means you already have to burn a bunch of materials just to get it up to that point, which is stupid in the first place. And the thing that made me quit the game and not even look at it again was when I realized that uh, when I hit the extract button on that charm, it did not allow me to select which skill I wanted to pull off of that charm and put on my other one. Oh, no, it did a literal fucking roulette wheel on the skills that were listed on that charm and randomly selected one and put that on my other charm. So I replaced a shit tier useless skill boost with another shit tier skill boost and realized I would have to do that over and over and over again in hopes of maybe maybe getting a skill boost I actually wanted. And that was the point where I was like, "Welp, fuck everything about this and uninstalled the game. I removed it from my PC, uninstalled it from my phone, and said, I'm done. Because listen, man, everybody knows I'm a huge Diablo fan, I love ARPGs, but that's, that's too much, that, that's just too much. And that in, in conjunction with all of the v- extremely predatory monetization that's going on in that game, I was like, nope, all right, I'm out. So that was that. And then on the flip side of things, which is far more positive, Some folks may or may not be aware that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge released uh, this week Mm. at the time of us recording this episode. And so, of course, I bought it immediately and uh, it is a damn fine beat em up. I am having a lot of fun with that game. It's like Turtles in Time, but with you know, 10, 15 ish, some odd years worth of refinement and some stuff added to it that makes it 30, a much more involved experience. Don't, don't remind me how old I am. Just, just (laughs) go with it. But yeah, I'm, I'm for, for 25 bucks. I am thoroughly impressed with that game. I'm having a lot of fun. There's a few quirks in the combat that I, I may not be a super fan of, but we'll talk about that at a later date. I'm sure. But yeah, so for right now, that's, that's been the majority of my time was, playing and then summarily dumping diablo immortal and then uh getting into some some good old TMNT beat-em-up action so uh so what about you chris besides you know fucking lunar or whatever what, what else have you
0: doing <laughs> so i've been playing the final fantasy five four job fiesta at the uh, time yes. of this recording i just unlocked my second job which is summoner so i have black mage and summoner so i hope to god I get a physical attacker for a dungeon that is in the second half of the game. Mm. I don't know how far I'll be by the time this episode is released. If, if it's not complete, you know, head over to our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash retro hangover, and you might be able to catch me. But uh, I might be done. I might not be done. It depends how much time I have. And I've not had a lot of time to really play games lately. I don't have a lot. So I guess I will also talk about Shredder's Revenge because I did play that. As you did. Mm. And I'm sure that means the guidance coming up for our patrons. And I, I look forward to doing that. Yeah. But I, I actually share a lot of the same sentiment you do. I think it's a very good game. I'm I'm impressed by it. I'm playing it on Game Pass, uh, by the way. So I did not have to buy it, mm. which I'm probably going to end up buying it anyway. You know, getting that physical copy from Limited Run because I am a dumbass. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. I did play it with my son. Every single time I've played it with my youngest son and me and him have just tore it up we beat the story mode uh we beat the arcade mode without ever having to continue and we didn't play it on the easiest difficulty either we played on normal difficulty and did it i think oh, we only died once or maybe twice each so we did like really really well yeah and i was in, i was impressed with him being as competent as he is with that he's probably better than me secretly i but I did have a higher score for what it's worth, so bragging rights are there. (laughs) (laughs) These brawlers have had a bit of a resurgence in recent years.
2: I I played Streets of Rage 2 for the first time just last year, and while it took me a while to get the hang of, I ended up really enjoying it, even though there were some parts of that game which I think are complete bullshit. (laughs) And Streets of Rage 4 came out not too long ago, right? Did you guys play that one as well?
1: I did. Well, Chris definitely has. Yeah, I haven't yet. Yes.
0: So that's that's one of the things about Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge. It's made by the same team who made Streets of Rage 4. So you're uh. getting a quality beat them up. Yeah, I don't think it's as good as Streets of Rage 4. I and I didn't think Streets of Rage 4 was as good as River City Girls, which is a fantastic beat them up. So, I mean, on a technical level, I, I think Turtles is it's still a great game, but there are b- better beat them ups up there. But I know that, you know, nothing can replace nostalgia. So I I do think that if you're into beat em ups, if you're into turtles, this is definitely a game worth going out and purchasing. But I'm sure that we'll we'll talk about that more in detail on this show. I'm definitely thinking that's going to be a thing. Oh, yeah. Speaking of episodes that we're recording, this is an episode we are recording. We're going to be talking (laughs) about Duke Nukem 3D. I can always rely on you for these
1: fantastic segues, Chris. Thank you.
0: I do these in my sleep. Very smooth. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's an acquired talent, I guess. I don't know. But I know that Shane likes first person shooters. So he likes the history of these. And I'm doing a terrible job and just kind of burying the headline. You're waffling, Chris. I'm definitely waffling. so much. I love waffling. It. Just give me give me all the syrup and make me blue. Sure. So <laughs> if. No, no, <laughs> not allowed. So for the brief history Shane's going to take it away. So, Shane, how about you give us the brief history of Duke Nukem 3D? You
1: know what's a great game? Doom. This is probably not much of a revelation, particularly if you've listened to the show. After all, we have covered a couple of id Software's efforts, including the demon-blasting daddy of modern FPS's itself. Though their shadow loomed large, id Software wasn't the only developer interested in making first-person shooters. After all, Doom's massive success would inevitably inspire copycats looking to cash in on the craze. In 1995, seeing the immediate hit that was Doom and having published the game's Relatively less successful, but no less significant predecessor, Wolfenstein 3D, 3D Realms, formerly Apogee Software Productions, wanted back in on the FPS action. While no actual member of id Software would be part of the development process, their signature over-the-top style and knack for pushing the envelope in regards to what was deemed appropriate would be on full display. The game would be based off a 2D action platformer for MS-DOS called Duke Nukem. Given that this title would be presented in a fully three-dimensional environment, the team would put all of their creative juices together to give it the moniker Duke Nukem 3D. Starting with a budget of $300,000 and a team of merely eight people, the game was initially intended to be both a first- and third-person shooter. When that proved to be a bit more ambitious than practical, the team decided to focus exclusively on a first-person perspective. The vision for Duke would be to have the game take place in more realistic locations, such as movie theaters, bookstores, and strip clubs in an intentional departure from the more exotic and, in some cases, fantastical, locales of its contemporaries. Duke Nukem 3D would find its way to shareware on January 29th of 1996. As was common at the time, this version included only the first episode. The full Duke experience would descend upon the gaming masses on May 5th of that same year, accompanied by a live stream of the packing and shipping process, an event that, in retrospect, was far ahead of its time. Duke 3D would be an instant commercial and critical success, with many PC gaming outlets considering it a better shooter than even Doom. While many critics were keen to point out the game's more controversial material, most if not all of them seemed to either enjoy it or not take much notice of it at all. Unfortunately, the same could not be said of all people who saw Duke's release, as many social activists claimed that the game promoted pornography and murder. This caused 3D Realms to create censored versions of the game for various regions, including Australia and Germany, with the title being simply banned outright in Brazil. Additionally, the Walmart chain of stores refused to stock Duke on its shelves unless it was heavily censored. However, keeping with the id software inspired spirit of giving the proverbial middle finger to any and all detractors, 3D Realms would release a patch that unlocked all of the censored content made available for download via their website. Rest in pieces. would be successful enough to see expansion packs and ports across a multitude of home consoles, including the Nintendo 64, Sony PlayStation, and the Sega Saturn, and continues to see ports even to this day. It is estimated that the game has sold a total of 3.5 million units worldwide, and continues to see remakes and remasters on digital distribution platforms. While it may no longer be considered to be better than the game it took inspiration from, there is no doubt that Duke 3D deserves a prestigious spot in the pantheon of early first-person shooters. And that is your brief history of Duke Nukem 3D.
0: Thank you so much for that brief history, Shane. I know that it must hurt you to see that reviewers thought this game was better than DOOM back in 1996. That's almost blasphemy, which I guess is fitting for oh, a DOOM game.
1: Oh, no, there's there's no almost about it. That's fucking heresy. It's, yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know. What? Uh,
1: mm-hmm. uh.
2: <laughs> so so the thing about Doom is that Doom is several different games. I mean, I, I would consider Doom 1 Episode 1 to be a masterpiece beyond reproach. But I do think Episodes 2 and 3 do drop off a bit. And I do think that, for me at least, Duke 3D does pip specifically Doom 1 Episodes 2 and 3.
1: Hmm. I could probably see that. I think, although interestingly, and we'll, we'll get into this more in a little bit, but now that you mentioned that, I feel like Duke Nukem is actually the, the inverse, if you will, of Doom <laughs> yeah. in that I think it actually gets better the further you get into it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it, it's hard to look at these games just in terms. It's hard to look at the games as a whole because there's such a variable quality from episode to episode. I mean, mm-hmm. these games were shareware games at the time they were released. And so the developers learned so much between the episodes.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially because, I mean, you have a couple more months to polish up episodes two and three in Duke Nukem's mm-hmm. case. So like, yeah, your, your first effort out there. And you think your first effort would be your best effort if you're just sending out samples for people to try. I mean, you do want them to obviously the the remaining episodes to be good. So people just don't be like, just play the free version and the rest of it doesn't matter. But as you said, like Doom shareware episode one being the best. And I think you could actually say the same about Wolfenstein where this all kind of started. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 understandable. And for for Duke to actually get better as it goes along, that's actually, I think, a, a good move. Now, in terms of personal experiences, as we get into this. Uh, I'll just kick this off myself because I know I'm not going to have a story, really. I just know that it was a game that existed. And the first time I played it was recently because somehow I managed to avoid it, even with all my preteen and teenage angst (laughs) back in the late 90s and early 2000s. I don't know how I I avoided it because this seems like the perfect game for someone like myself, but I did. So uh, there was that. I just knew it existed. It was around... I think I knew less about it than Doom, so I'll let Patrick take take the last word on the personal experiences here, and I'll shift it over to Shane. Shane, what are your personal experiences with Duke Nukem? Well, it
1: may, uh, yeah, clarify that, I guess. Yeah, well, it may come as a surprise to listeners who are familiar with my, you know, repertoire, um, as as I am evidently the the FPS guy for RHP, such as it is. But I actually didn't really get into this for quite a while. Um, my memory of when I first played the game is is pretty hazy. I'm not sure when that actually occurred, but it certainly was not on release. I mean, that would have put me at about 10 years old at the time, and my parents sure as hell would not have purchased this for me. So, so that didn't happen. And at any rate, I, you know, I was a huge Doom fan. I mean, still am. So any PC FPS time that I would have had would have been solely spent with Doom for quite some time. However, having said that, I was acutely aware of Duke Nukem's existence. Um, I did have a pretty long-running subscription to PC Gamer magazine, and so you know, of course, they they had a lot of coverage in there. And you know, then the <laughs> the long and painful road to finally getting to Duke Nukem Forever was something that was covered exhaustively in those sorts of publications. So I was aware of Duke. I want to say that the first time I played this, more likely than not, was on a pirated copy that I probably borrowed from a friend. So, you know, sorry, 3D Realms, but, you know, that's just that's just how things tended to happen.
0: That's just PC gaming, man. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I say we we all had binders of (laughs) discs with Sharpies on them. For me, me, it was Warcraft
2: three. I don't know how many copies of Warcraft three were circulated amongst our school, but none of them had been
1: purchased. (laughs) Yeah. You you know, you've got a, a, you know, a a burnable disc and then a little slip of paper with a CD key on it.
0: (laughs) Or you just randomly type in a bunch of combination of of letters and numbers and it'll work, which is what I tended to do.
1: Or you live dangerously and go find a CD key crack program off LimeWire or some shit and hope for the best.
0: (laughs) That works, too. Uh, so, Patrick, what was it like for you? When, did you play Doom when it first came out or was it a little bit later? Doom, you say? Yeah, so. <laughs> Duke. I said Duke. I said Duke. Did mm. I say Doom?
2: Yeah, Doom, Duke 3D. They're all the same. I played all these games. Um, wow. Unlike most people, I didn't have a console at home. My dad was a giga giga nerd, <laughs> and so um he was into PC gaming. So for me, PC gaming is how I interacted with video games growing up pretty much exclusively until I got a fair bit older and was able to purchase my own console. And Duke 3D um, of those games when I was growing up was probably the most important. I would say this is the primary game alongside Red Alert that I played from ages like 6 to 10. Clearly, my dad didn't give a shit about the uh, (laughs) the content in this game. No. Because he used to jump on and play it. And I played this game so much. I played over the internet against one of my dad's friend's son because he was about the same age as me. And this was back when dial-up internet was a mm. thing. So it was just both of us kind of like running around the single player match shooting one another. And it's made such an impression on me that this is this is the first time really I fired up Duke 3D for like 20 years. I remembered most of the levels and secrets and it's been 20 years since I played it. So... <laughs> This is one game that I do have a lot of nostalgia for, and I'm going to do my best to try and take off those goggles and give this game a fair critique. But I, it is a bit difficult because I kind of knew exactly what to do and where all these ridiculous secrets were the moment I dropped into a level, despite it being so long.
0: You can keep some nostalgia goggles on for this. Because I know your show, okay. you, you go completely nostalgia glasses off which is great by the way uh, i think we don't have enough podcasts like that like shane said when he was on your show for diablo so yeah you could keep them on hmm. a little bit i'll keep them on slanted so i've got one eye. <laughs> there you go I'll say
1: if for nothing else I, I feel like chris and i will probably serve as a foil for you for most of this episode so you know keep keep those glasses on it's fine i will <laughs> <laughs> keep keep
2: my delusions safe no no i will but yeah so one of the of games ever since I played this game, although I'd played Doom beforehand, Duke 3D was the one that really spoke to me and something I really got into. And I think that its take on level design in particular is something that I feel like we should aspire more towards and something that unfortunately a lot of modern games have kind of forgotten.
1: Hmm. Well, I'm going to want to know more
0: about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do want to know about is this game's plot the writing what what's going on in this game (laughs) so shane yeah yeah you kick this one off you let what do you think of what's going on in the world of duke nukem three day i mean listen man it's pretty typical early
1: fps kind of fair right i mean badass lone gunman kills a bajillion things to save the world and in this case also all the babes so it's got that going for it (laughs) What what is there to say? I mean, I'm sure Patrick can probably expand on this a little bit, uh, but I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about the the plot of a early to mid 90s first person shooter. It's really just a you know, a scaffolding to to hang your justification for blowing away a thousand different things, right? So it's there. That's what I can say about it. I mean, as far as the writing goes, I mean, listen, man, the game's very self-aware. It has to be, but it, it, it is. 3D realms knew what they were doing. A lot of the one-liners that that Duke spouts off, you know, just sort of randomly, or when you're picking up a weapon or blowing something up with a rocket launcher or something. Gonna be honest, a lot of them kind of cringy. But then again, I think they were always intended to be. I mean, part of what you know gives Duke Nukem his let's go with charm is the fact that he is very much a parody or a, a lampooning of a lot of you know, late eighties and early nineties action heroes. It's very much a send up of that kind of thing. And so to me, it always felt like a very, like they live kind of style of B movie action hero. And they really leaned into that for this. Um, So, yeah, I mean, they knew what they were doing.
2: Yeah. I guess what I'd add to that is that while the, plot is absolutely ridiculous. I would say that rather than saving the world, that's something that incidentally (laughs) happens as Duke Nukem is trying to save the babes. That's really his driving motivation. I will say that I think that the world building and atmosphere is something I do enjoy about this game. When you said uh, a lot of the things he says are cringy and ridiculous, a lot of them are direct references to... Uh, John Carpenter and Sam Raimi mm-hmm. films, uh, they live... A lot of the uh, John Carpenter films like uh, Escape from New mm-hmm. York, uh, Big Trouble in Little Chinatown, Evil Dead, um, it, it really taps into that kind of pulpy 80s and early 90s flicks, which I... And I kind of have a soft spot for those films, so I kind of enjoy enjoy that. My favourite one uh, line that he spits out is always, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. <laughs> yes. And I'm all out of gum. Yeah. Is that the Evil Dead? The one where the, the monsters are in society and he puts- No, in that's the They boxes?
0: Live. That's They Live. Yeah.
2: They Live. That's from yeah. They Live, of course. How could I get that wrong? The other thing I'd say is that I don't know if you guys have ever played a game called Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. I have. I have not. Yeah. So so that game is also set in Los Angeles. And while the depiction of Duke Nukem 3D's world is- baseline level, immature and ridiculous and leans into titillation. I do enjoy the idea of depicting uh, the seedier side, the nighttime undercover side of Los Angeles, because, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, it was a seedy place. Sure. And I think that in the same way that the John Carpenter and Sam Raimi films kind of lean into this kind of darker, uh, undercover side of, of the cityscape, I think Duke Nukem 3D does as well. And I appreciate, you know, a take on this landscape, even if it isn't as sophisticated as Vampire,
0: not even close. Mm-hmm. See, I love everything about this. I think just like you guys, I really appreciate it. But I think for slightly different reasons, because I love how over the top it is. Mm-hmm. I love Duke's machismo. I like him... Just being this totally balls out over the top Johnny Bravo type of dude. Like it's so much better and it's so refreshing compared to what other types of games were doing during that time period. And in particular, like Doom, uh, because it's like a space marine. So there's not a lot of personality, even with Blaskovitz in Wolfenstein 3D. It's not a lot of personality. You know, you have a POW and you have a space marine and then you get to Duke and he's just he's just some buff dude who just like likes chicks and just gives random women <laughs> money to 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 strip for him or whatever. You know, it's just like it's so over the top and it's so immature that it's absolutely ridiculous. Like this is I think it becomes more and more ridiculous the further and further you get away from it. And I think you made a good point about it being a B-movie action type hero. But I think it even devolves into more of that. This is like a, a hot shot's. version of the of the b-movie action hero it's like taking the piss out of it a hundred percent yeah and it if you're not viewing it in that lens i can understand if you get offended by it and you know what good for you be offended i don't care because this game is just it's supposed to it feels like it's supposed to be ridiculous it feels like it's supposed to make you laugh about how stupid duke is And just like all the women all over the place and dancing bikinis and like seeing porn booths when you go into the cinema and stuff like that. These are things that you didn't get back then, but you you weren't going to. There wasn't going to be a serious take on this. There wasn't you weren't supposed to be like, oh, this is so hot. There's some chicks dancing in a bikini. I'm totally going to take it out and start spanking it. That's not what it was supposed (laughs) to do. I mean, you were supposed to be like,
1: this is dumb. To be fair, I am sure that
0: happened. Oh, I am too. Like this that totally happened. Like people like I play I play this game cuz there's like half naked babes in it. You're like I like, okay. I never made it past the strip club level. <laughs>
2: My only problem with this, because I agree with you guys, I think that having that stuff is actually mainly played for laughs, is that, and this is the same problem I had with Vampire, is that there's not enough dongs. (laughs) Right. If you're going to have chicks getting their tits out, sure, great, but then you also need guys getting their dongs out, and then suddenly the issues of sexism disappear. It stops being about... A man's fantasy and suddenly we get sorry a cis male's Mm. fantasy and starts being more of a you know generic fantasy for anyone to indulge in so i kind of feel like this issue could have been solved if there were just as many male strippers as there were female strippers and problems solved and suddenly the controversy goes away to a large degree i want the space
1: pigs with their dicks out i was gonna say i love the take that like activists would have been quelled had there just been more dicks in this game. It's <laughs> brilliant. I, I, I feel like modern criticism of this game would ah, have largely okay. been quelled.
2: Uh, perhaps the activists of the time, maybe not, but I think that having, basically, I think there's room in video games to have a degree of titillation, but it needs to be it needs to be equitable. It can't just be women getting their tits out. It needs to be men getting that junk out as well. And I think that as long as we can all agree on that, I think most mm-hmm. people would agree on that, you know? Game of Thrones has a lot of titillation, but at least it's got titillation
0: for both men and women and people of any sexual
1: presence. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If a woman, like, takes off, her, takes off her bra and all of a sudden two dongs pop out, I think... Uh, <laughs> it's suddenly more reasonable, yeah. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. reasonable. Oh... What have we become? Let's move on to gameplay. <laughs> Nothing play. we weren't already, Chris. No. Exactly. You know what? You're right. We, we, have, we always do this. What, what am I talking about? Our last episode was dragon Wang. Come on. <laughs> so if you want your dongs, go back. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about uh, speaking of dongs. How does, how does this control? How, how do the joysticks apply? <laughs> Fuck me. Right. Joysticks. Of course. <laughs> yes. Patrick, how about you talk about the gameplay a bit? Because you were mentioning earlier how you think the level design is really good. But the, of course, there's more to this game than just level design. So how do you feel about this game and how it played overall?
2: Oh, OK. I guess um, I guess a good place to start is probably, as you say, the let's start with the basic controls, how it feels to like move your character around. And I have to say, this is something um, I've always enjoyed about these build engine games, whether it's Blood, Duke 3D. I haven't played Shadow Warrior. It's definitely on my list. So, basically, your base movement speed is really high. You glide around the levels very quickly with no um, with no resistance on your movement. I don't know if I have always sprint on or if that's just how the game speed is. And also, you jump extremely high in this game. I don't know if that's something you guys notice, but mm-hmm. you can ascend yeah. levels very, very easily. And I got to say, I think this game still feels great to control and move around at a baseline level. Something that a lot of uh, modern games do moving forward, particularly as you start getting into your Call of Duties and your more realistic shooters in the early 2000s, is that they dramatically restrict your movement speed and your ability to move around levels. I've always loved this about these old shooters. They did not give a crap how fast you move through the levels. And you can see that in the speed runs where they get through these levels in, you know, five to 10 seconds just by abusing the uh, strafing movement speed. Did did you guys feel this felt good to control and move around at a baseline level?
1: Yes, absolutely. I would
2: say
0: yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah felt really good
1: i totally agree with you that a lot of these games built on top of the the build engine they all feel like this they all feel real good they're real snappy very responsive and in a game like this you would expect it to be i'm always very pleased with that by the way shadow warrior is also a quality one so you know you'll look forward to playing that
2: i need to play it i'm eager to
1: yeah i totally agree with with the movement and things like that by the way um i think by default run is always on you can toggle okay. it off i actually did it accidentally while i was playing because you can just walk by holding shift and i was just like oh i'm never doing that again and <laughs> what's the purpose right like why is there's it even no, there? there's no stealth in this game <laughs> yeah exactly i mean other than a few areas where you need to get through some tight area like tight corridors or whatever i'm like why is there even a crouch like i just need to run and jump that's all a man really needs mm. I would say, and I'm interested on your take on this, while the movement and control in that regard, I feel is very fluid, super responsive, really nice. The gunplay to me honestly doesn't feel as great. And I have some thoughts on that, but I'm curious what your take is.
2: I basically agree. This is one of the things where my memory clash with the reality of playing it. Mm. I think that the weapons are Solid. I, I don't think they're good. They're certainly nowhere as enjoyable to play with as as in Blood, mm-hmm. uh, the other big build engine shooter. I played that for the first time in the last couple of years, and I absolutely adored it. The the guns in that game kick ass. <laughs> this is a far more medium roster of weapons. Mm-hmm. The shotgun and the chain gun uh, feel okay to use. The explosive weapons, the RPG and the devastator, feel pretty good. The pipe bombs feel like a shitty version of Blood's TNT, mm-hmm. and the shrinkers just a kind of generic utility weapon. The other two weapons, the freezer and the trip mines, I didn't even use. I, I was struggling to come up with a situation where I used them. same. So I would I would describe this weapon roster as decently solid, not nearly as imaginative as I remembered. But a bit disappointing, honestly. I, I think I think it does the job, but I wouldn't say anything. I, I wouldn't heap any more praise on it than that.
1: Yeah, that's. I'm act, I'm actually surprised. I think you and I agree on just about everything there. I felt like there was this real lack of oomph in a lot of the guns and it's something that's Mm -hmm. difficult to quantify right but there's like a there's a certain something and usually this is done in conjunction with like good sound effect work which we'll get to in a little bit that kind of makes the weapons feel more impactful and honestly I just really wasn't seeing that here it felt very felt very floaty I think for a lack of better terms and it probably doesn't help that like even the pig cops felt like bullet sponges Like in most cases, and keep in mind, by the way, I was playing this on easy and even then those enemies, which are basically like second tier, you know, they're like the second thing that you see often take anywhere between two to four shotgun blasts to dispatch in most cases. And that's just too much. And that's like a through line through, I think, a lot of the game where it just felt like what you were doing was not nearly as impactful as what they were because a lot of the encounters start to feel unfair since a lot of enemies, particularly the ones a little bit later in the game that have chain guns seem to abuse (laughs) the shit out of hit scanning Mm -hmm. and you will get hit probably before you even have a chance to react in most scenarios. And to me that just never felt great. I suppose I should probably note that it almost seems like 3D Realms was kind of aware of this in some regard, that it felt like they were sort of compensating with fairly plentiful health kits slash atomic all health over. boosters. Yeah, pretty much like all over the There's place. Shitloads of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, is not an excuse for what could arguably be called like just a poor design choice. It feels like it's more of a band-aid than anything, but I don't know, Chris, you haven't really said a lot about this yet. What were your thoughts on this?
0: Just to address the health, I think that was something that a lot of the early first person shooters were really struggling with just because you they hadn't figured out the regenerative health technique quite yet mm-hmm. because, you know, Halo was a ways off and, you know, Call of Duty, of course, was a ways off. So you you want to have challenging gameplay while also making sure the player knew that, you know, nothing was impossible, especially with the damages that. You were taking, so I, I kind of look at those space pigs, and I I feel exactly the same way. That if you're really up close to them with a shotgun, you sh- they still take two shotgun blasts. But so do you. But it doesn't change with the the, the distance. And you'd think that if you're really up close in their face with a shotgun, they should go down in one hit. And that's pretty much the best way to do it because you're not going to attack them with an RPG. You're not going to really attack them with a chain gun up close because well, I guess it kind of makes sense. Because one thing I did like is that. With the pistol, like if you shot them with the pistol a bunch of times, they had kind of a reaction to it. So it kept them from shooting. Mm -hmm. So that that is a benefit to to that. So there is a tactic to it if you really want to go that route. But again, like a shotgun, a shotgun blast to the face really up close to a a pig cop should kill them in one hit. And it doesn't. My biggest issue with the gunplay is just how precise you have to be with a lot of these weapons. Mm -hmm. Because I'm playing the 20th anniversary edition, even had auto aim. And again, I was playing on easy mode. So I have no idea how this was back in 1996, but if Quake is any indicator where you had to press buttons to look up and down as opposed to using the mouse to do so, it probably was a a bigger pain in the ass. And I I played it on the Saturn and had that kind of design where one button was look up and one button was look down and that, you know, it makes aiming a, a big, big, big problem. So if that was the case back then, like, yeah, there was a way that you had to get good at it again. I don't know, because I played a game that was optimized to be with modern controls in mind, Mm -hmm. but the precision of which that you have to have in order to shoot enemies is damn near infuriating. Now, your RPG, yeah, that can fucking take care of enemies no matter what, like they're in a blast radius. You're going to take care of them. But I shouldn't have to be precise with a goddamn shotgun. (laughs) You do not need to be surgical with one. So why is it if I'm with a pig cop and there or any enemy, whether whatever that might be, I have to be pretty much on target to hit the motherfucker when a shotgun spreads like the further away it gets, I should be able to do damage to it. But it doesn't seem to be the case. And this is like the preferred weapon, I think, of Duke Nukem just because of the of the damage that it does. I didn't understand why it would need to do this because I kept swapping back between a mouse and a controller to see what I preferred the most. Xbox 361 and the mouse and I and just nothing really seemed to to feel right. And that's that was part of my biggest problem with this game is that no matter what I tried to do with the gunplay, it didn't feel like I was the badass Duke Nukem that the game told me I was where I could just mow down enemies mindlessly. Like it there was significant challenge uh that was boosted by the health pickups, but I I felt like there in a design like this, something should have been a little bit more empowering, especially on an easier difficulty. I should have been able to mow down enemies. And I understand on the higher difficulties that's not the case, but I, I don't know why it wasn't like that top to bottom on an easier one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty interesting how challenging you found it. I was
2: playing on Come Get Some, which is the equivalent of, you know, ultra violence. So the uh, the level right. down from the uh, the top one. And I found this game bit more challenging than I expected, but not not even close to what Blood is like. Uh, Blood has a lot of hit scanners and those hit scanners acquisition time is like close to instantaneous. Mm. I found the acquisition times on these enemies was far more reasonable. The pig cops and the chain gunners gave me more time to actually react to them. I guess strategically the way I had to find my way through these levels and deal with these hit scanners was that it was a lot of crouching and sliding around corners, taking a shot, and then immediately ducking back into cover. If you try to run around in the open, like you would in Quake or Dusk, you're going to die. Like there's no way you can be, as you perhaps alluded to, like playing like the badass action hero, jumping around, shooting enemies, because so many of the enemies are hit scan based. You have to play a lot more cautiously and tactically. And I can see how that would perhaps go against Duke's uh, action hero image. But I think that as long as you play with a degree of care, um, I I don't know if you guys use the pipe bombs very much, but pipe bombs are a fantastic way to clear enemies out while staying in safety if you're doing a lot of that corner peeking, you should be able to get through this game without too much trouble, apart from when you start getting into some of the devastating
0: ambushes that start cropping up in episode three. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to remind everybody, I'm terrible at first-person shooter games. (laughs) (laughs) That is true.
1: Yeah, and actually, you make a good point, Patrick, because I think that's part of the issue, at least for me, is that I wanted to, perhaps stubbornly, wanted to approach this game like I would something like Doom where Mm. you are very much encouraged to just run into a room and like strafe your way to victory.
2: Yeah, circle circle strafing is cover. Exactly, exactly. Fast fast Mm. movement speed protects you. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and I wanted to approach this game the same way because to Chris's point, that was part of the, I guess, the selling point of Duke, right? And to be, to take, I guess if we want to use 80s action heroes as an example, um, or let's say early Rambo because things went off the fucking rails later. But early Rambo <laughs> approach of like being a little bit more tactical in how you're approaching your combat scenarios, that seems completely antithetical to what they were trying to pitch Duke as. Mm, yeah. And so I guess maybe maybe that's on me, right? Like I said, maybe I was just being stubborn. and I was like, no, fuck you. I'm going to play this game the way that I think it should be played to the sound of my death on various occasions, <laughs> even even on easy difficulty. So yeah, it's it's an interesting viewpoint on it for sure. I will say on a little bit more of a positive note, and I feel like I want to say I think both of you will mostly agree with this. The introduction of the sort of rudimentary item inventory here was definitely a welcomed enhancement. So rather than just immediately using an item like the EV suits in Doom, for example, where if you pick one up when you didn't mean to, well you Better fucking make use of it because it's it's on and there's nothing you can do about it. Being able to store those items away and use them when necessary, like scuba gear for the underwater sections or your protective boots for traversing things like acid or lava, that was fantastic. I mean, having that plus also partially having to do with compensating for some of those cheap shots from enemies having the ability to carry a med kit with you and use it when you needed it rather than trying to track down a med kit somewhere also super helpful.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, um, my favorite of these items is without a doubt, the jet pack. Oh, I feel yes. like the jetpack mm-hmm. breaks the level design in half, but the creators don't give a shit because it's fun to use. Absolutely. and uh, Being able to access secrets and sequence break these levels to some degree because you can just fly anywhere on the level is Brilliant. The inclusion of the jetpack is precisely the kind of thing that a lot of modern game designers will move away from because it will break their scripting. You know, it's like they have a bunch of these cool things to show you. And if they just let you go anywhere and break the 3D spaces, oh, we wouldn't be able to show you this pretty um, cinematic set piece that we've got prepared for you. Duke 3D and these far more in a far more old school design is like, well, we don't have a lot of scripting. We've just created this level, and we don't really care if you do it back to front. You're going to experience it no matter what, and it just gives you the freedom to engage with these levels in different ways than you would think would be possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And at this time, having that jetpack, that that one thing, and unfortunately, it's of limited use um, because I feel like I really wanted to just have it all the time. But it did give you this real unprecedented level of, you know, sort of
0: exploratory freedom, which I think is great. I would tend to agree with that, too. I mean, the jetpack items in general are something I didn't really care about much at all. I mean, you could even see this when I went to the Saturn version. I don't even think they had NVGs in the Saturn version because uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but a lot of the items themselves, I liked more like the automatic ones, of course, mm-hmm. like the scuba gear and, mm-hmm. and the boots because I didn't have to think about it. They just automatically. Happened, sure but yeah when you have something like the jetpack and you can break the game that does make the game a hell of a lot more entertaining and it was something you didn't see in doom and i think that a lot of that too is because this was a fully 3d game and it beat quake to the punch really well uh, it's interesting it's you say that I, I don't know actually. if you know much about the build <laughs> engine
2: yeah yeah they call it 2.5d so it, it's not quite 3d but it does the illusion of 3d sufficiently well to to trick you into thinking it is 3d
0: yeah well yeah but what i'm saying is is like in doom you you don't really have to worry about aiming up or down at your yeah. enemies whereas as a as opposed to duke you do like everything is on it has a y-axis doom does but it, not in the same way that you really have to worry about it. you point you shoot you take care of business you do have to be precise the enemies have infinite hitboxes. The enemies mm-hmm. hitboxes in Doom stretch to the sky. So uh, yeah. as long as you're
2: hitting somewhere above that hitbox, the enemy will get
0: hit. Right, exactly. That's not the case in, in Duke Nukem. So you, ha- you have to be a lot more cognizant of what's going on. What I do want to talk about, and this is where we're getting into the level design, which you said is good. Mm. And this is what infuriates me about these early first person shooters, this includes like all of them, by the way, this isn't just limited to Duke Nukem 3D, but it's here in Duke Nukem 3D. And I'm going to say that it still pisses me off Hmm. is how the level is gated off constantly via access cards and via switches that you need to press and you need to find, you need to do. The reason I don't like this is if you miss something, if you don't, if you happen to not find a certain item that will allow you to progress through the level and you get lost, you're going to be spending a lot of time just wandering through the level where it's empty and there's nothing there and it becomes boring quick and it becomes frustrating because you're already lost. You don't know what to do. You, you see you need to find an access card. You don't know where the access card is or you see a door that you need to go through and you know it requires a switch and you don't know where the switch is. So you're spending a lot of time not doing anything, hoping to find out what you're supposed to do. And until you find out what you're supposed to do, it's it's a whole lot of I fucking hate this shit. So I, I understand if you know what to do, why you would love it. But I want you to, because you said it was great. So I, I I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, Patrick. <laughs> I want you to explain to me why the level design is great for someone who has never played this before. And maybe someone who is just not in love with early first person shooters.
2: Okay, uh, so honestly, you bring up a fantastic point. Because the truth is, you know how I said I remembered most of the levels from 20 years ago when I played them? That includes, I remembered most of the key card locations. And playing through it, there were some which were in fairly obscure spots, like almost behind secrets Mm -hmm. in some instances. And I can see how that would be immensely frustrating. So fair point. And the fact that I didn't have to deal with that bloody key card hunt that you guys probably did meant that it's something that I overlooked. Mm -hmm. I guess the reason, the main reason I elevate Duke 3D's level design and the main reason I think that it's fantastic is basically due to the compact nature of it. I don't know if you guys have ever played Doom Plutonia Experiment, the the one that came out as part of Final Doom in 1996.
1: Uh, yeah, I have, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so Plutonia Experiment is my favourite mainline Doom game. It's absolutely ball-busting. <laughs> but the thing that Plutonia Experiment does so well is that it realised that you didn't need to make levels massive. You didn't need to make these really big huge open empty levels in order to deliver an enjoyable level design experience mm-hmm. you just needed to be very careful and particular in how you designed those experiences and fill them with lots of dense stuff in the level so lots of enemies and lots of environmental features and they packed a challenging and enjoyable experience in in a small space and li- listen, going back to it, there were levels in Plutonian Experiment where I didn't know where the key was and I was wandering around frustrated after I'd cleared out the level. So, I think your point is is very well taken in that regard. What I like about this level design is that it kind of has this looping aspect to it. You, you, like, for example, with Hotel Hell, one of the levels in Episode 3, mm-hmm. you kind of start at the back, back part of the hotel, you go out, you know, another sideways corridor, come in back through the front entrance, go up a lift, then you go out a window back to where you started. And you've managed to, I guess, have a fairly compact space that is nonetheless filled with enemies and interesting encounters. And I never got lost in terms of where I was situated in the in the level. That said, listen, great point. I think that the key card thing, if you don't know where they are, can lead to a lot of frustrating wondering about. I, so, so that's where I'd be. I think that the concept of a tight and dense level is preserved throughout Duke 3D. Can the key card hunts be frustrating? Could they have been more obvious? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and it is a good point because so there's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on about the, the level design in this game. And I suppose we'll, I'll, I'll start with, with Chris's point about hunting for things. I experienced this as well. And it's not something that's unique to Duke, as you've pointed out, Patrick. Like, it it happens in a lot of these boomer shooters, as they are called now. Boomer. So it's not unique to, to Duke. But I will say what does set Duke apart, and not in a good way, from some of its contemporaries in this regard, is the thing that you actually mentioned, Patrick, is that for some godforsaken reason, they decided that it would be a good idea to put critical components of progression through a level behind what any other game would consider to be a secret. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of times where I came across that, that I, I quite literally was sitting at my computer and going, really, that's really, that's what you went with. (laughs) There was one level. And I can't recall exactly which one it was. Now it was, I actually, I think it was in the first episode, the latter part of the first episode, but the intended, not only intended, the only path forward was hidden behind a poster on a wall in one particular room. There was a passageway. Mm -hmm. And not only that, because I I went through that poster, I found it and I was like, oh, this is a little secret area. They got some pipe bombs and stuff. That's neat. And then I left and I was wandering around (laughs) that level for like 15 more minutes with nothing to do. And I'm like, what am I missing? I have all the keys. I've been everywhere. I tried to use my mini map to figure out, did I, did I miss a corridor? Like what, what's going on? And finally I had to look it up and it's like, oh yeah, go through that poster thing, go down there. And then the reason they gave you pipe bombs is because they want you to blow up the wall and then you keep going and that's how you finish the level. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me.
2: It's very funny you use that as your example, because I think it's maybe one of the weaker ones and you're just, you know, a terrible human being that hasn't watched the Shawshank Redemption.
1: (laughs) Uh, I have, but I certainly wasn't making a connection to that while playing Duke Nukem 3D.
2: You missed the part of the movie where he, where Dufresne got the pipe bombs and blew up the wall. I, I swear. I swear that was in the movie. Uh, it, you know, <laughs> it was. But again, like, OK, maybe perhaps,
1: perhaps this is part of coming back to this game a couple decades later or something. Mm-hmm. That movie was not exactly top of fucking mind when I was <laughs> playing Duke Nukem, you know. So but I suppose I suppose uh. you make a valid point. It does it several times.
2: Like there's a bit where there's a station with like a radio station and a a fire station, and the key is just behind a secret wall Mm. in the radio station. Even early on, on the third level, um, the the one with the strip club, there's a key hidden behind the bar in a drawer at crouch level height. Yep. Yeah. Like, and I knew where these were. Like I remembered where these were. But I still remember when I was a kid spending heaps of time running around so yeah it's a problem and I think it's something that Amid Evil and Dusk and even Iron Fury do much better they put the keys in obvious spots and they have all the secrets there for cool optional stuff and that's the way it always should be
1: oh absolutely agreed And so dovetailing off of this and talking a little bit more about the level design just in general, there's some things that I wanted to touch on here, which I find interesting that to me, it it almost seems like and this is tying back to what we mentioned towards the beginning of the episode where I said I felt like this was the inverse of how Doom kind of did things. I feel like 3D Realms kind of buried the lead here, as it were, when it comes to level design in this game. And you can be uh, 100 percent. Free to totally tell me I'm full of shit here, but I really felt like the first episode of this game, by and large, from a level design standpoint, actually felt pretty uninspired. And this is why I'm going to say that. There are a lot of levels that feel like they are composed of just like a set piece. So, like the theater, for example. And then there's just a collection of more like nondescript alleyways and streets around it. And so I got this feeling like I was being shepherded from one like, look at this cool thing to the next with a lot of dead space in the middle. And I didn't feel like this changed until right around the San Andreas fault area. To me, that's when the level design actually started to get interesting because that one in particular showcases how the team uses the build engine to allow for transformation of a level in a way that doom really didn't do all that much of. So it was something that was different. When you trigger that earthquake during that level, and suddenly these vast portions of the level shift, and you now have this totally new path to go down to finish the rest of the level, to me, that was the point where I was like, oh, okay, this is doing something interesting now. But up until that point, I just, I don't know, it it felt... Like I said, I've already said it, so I don't like repeating words, but it really just did feel kind of uninspired to me. Like it felt like the game was leaning on its shock value to carry it through those early levels, because frankly, and I'm going to get to this in a little bit. I feel like they front loaded this game with a lot of that shit, and that's probably because of the shareware. So you get that first episode to really hook people in with strippers and then they can play the rest of the game. I don't know. That was the sense that I got. I don't know how you guys felt about this. I
0: felt the same. Great. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know I don't want to expound. I'm not expounding too much, but still I still a contribution. <laughs> I can't expound on much. I, I felt the exact same way Shane did. It's not I'm not, I don't know. I'm not going to rant and yeah. ramble on uh, Patrick. So so I guess what I'd say about this is this is probably one
2: aspect of the game that has aged very poorly, mm-hmm. but at the time that this game released Duke Nukem's 3D, I guess, set piece of a theater blew people's fucking minds. Mm-hmm. Like, and that might seem strange that something as ordinary as the kind of bland and kind of empty depiction of a theater was so revolutionary. But prior to Duke 3D, most levels in first person shooters were very abstracted. Right. They, they didn't really feel like real places. I mean you look at Doom 2 city levels and they in addition to being some of the shittiest they're levels, t- terrible yeah they don't come close to a city. <laughs> Marathon did a depiction of a space station you know in inside a meteor. System Shock 1 did a little bit of a better job, but those spaces are still very abstract. Sure, Duke 3D, you can look at those places and you can say, yes, this feels like a movie theater. The impact that has today is obviously basically non-existent and I would say most people wouldn't even know that this was like a thing that amazed people back in the day. For me at the time, it was incredible. For me today... I I guess I more appreciated the fact that uh, there was a degree of immersion because it felt like I was jumping around a real place. <laughs> like I did like how, for example, in the theatre, you do have the bathroom, you've got the concession stand, you've got the projector room, you've got the theatre, you know, with the with the film screen that you can blow up and go behind it. It did feel you know, semi, semi-realistic to me, uh, but this could very easily be my nostalgia talking. And I agree with you that from like a, at least a gameplay perspective, it's not until episode three that it really hits its stride in terms of making these interesting gameplay spaces mm-hmm. to play in. Episode one... It's still fairly static, as you said. So so basically, well, that's all to say that from a modern perspective, I basically agree with you. And I think episode three is above and beyond the first two episodes in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. I'm much lower on episode two than you guys. I felt like there was an overabundance of those fucking centuries <laughs> uh, to the point where I almost wanted to stop playing in episode two. But it does pick up towards the end with uh, with the Lunar Station levels.
0: Yeah. Here's where I'll kind of finish my thoughts on the gameplay is that because I wasn't a PC player and because I didn't play this game, like my nostalgia towards early FPS games is really more so with Goldeneye. And I'm I'm probably going to be devastated when I have to play this again later (laughs) because that's that's coming down the pipe. But like you say, all these things about being in a being in movie theater and and how it was revolutionary at the time. And I look at Goldeneye, and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well, these are really well designed levels with really believable kind of environments that you're you're talking to with Duke Nukem 3D. Mm. So when I look at it, and I understand Goldeneye is a year later, it probably took a lot from Duke Nukem 3D. I mean, it had to have uh, by the point it came out. But I just think when you look at A little over a year later and you see something much better designed on a system that is typically not known for these things and I'm not even talking about games like other games I haven't played like Hexen or or whatever else was coming out around that time you get to a point where like yeah it's nice and it's unique it's not an imaginative version of hell it's not just an endless corridor of just you know a a Nazi barracks or whatever the hell you're doing in Wolf 3D because that's that's only really the only two games that were out around this time right this it's also before quake marathon and system shock are the other
2: two that come to mind mm-hmm. in terms of like yeah. FPS spaces. But yeah, th- this was the first breakout semi-realistic location one.
0: Yeah. And I haven't either, I haven't played marathon or system shock and I hope to remedy at least system shock. But you know, when you are when you're a console player and you go back and you play this, I know I said, keep the nostalgia glasses on a little bit. I guess I am, but applying it in a fucked up way. <laughs> it's harder for me to look at these, locations as you are relatively comparing them to what was going on at the time just because when I was getting environments I was getting Turok I was getting Goldeneye mm. and looking at this this doesn't make anything special compared to those two games even though I think technically on some point with the exception of Goldeneye and I'm probably going to be very very wrong about this it's it's a better game. You're definitely wrong about GoldenEye. and I d- I
2: just want to <laughs> say I played that game last year and it's it fucking sucked. I'm I, about to I've find heard, out. I've heard, to- I've heard much better things about Churok, though, so I'll I'll uh, yeah. I'll, let, I'll let that memory at
0: least at least yeah. survive. I'm going to find out, but like like I said, technically I think Duke Nukem 3D is a better game than either of those two games. But I just think everything else about those two games is is more inspired, more streamlined, and better designed. But again. I'm going to find out otherwise because nostalgia is a hell of a drug Mm. and I'm writing nostalgia for those other two games and I'm, I'm using recency bias for Duke, Duke and 3d. So I I will say that and that that's where I'm just going to leave it off on, on the gameplay point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I I will, I will concede a point because Patrick actually brought up a good, a good point here. And that is the level of interactivity. I think I might, I might've been overlooking that a little bit, but it should, it should be noted because When you are comparing Duke Nukem to a lot of its contemporaries at the time, having that ability to interact with just so many different things in a level. And I mean, it seems fucking dumb now, right? Because you're like, oh, Duke can pee in a toilet like like, (laughs) but that didn't happen before. Right. So it's there is something to be said for that. And interacting with relatively large pieces of the level like revealing the, the movie theater screen with the chick on it and of course stuff like that I mean yeah so you know what that that actually is an excellent point I think what I was getting at more of is just the 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 actual design of how the levels are laid out overall I felt like that got consistently better the further you got into the game and I guess the last thing that I at least want to touch on, because unsurprisingly, the gameplay portion of the discussion is the one that's going to run a little bit longer, I think, than the rest. But I, I just wanted to expand a little bit on the point that I made and see if you guys had anything you wanted to add to it. That was was I the only one that just felt like this game was tonally very inconsistent? Like the first episode, again, shareware. But that was very much like a check out all of these tits and like the the porno mags strewn around everywhere, and like, oh man, isn't this so controversial? And it kind of like blows that proverbial wad like right away. And then, of course you have to use that. Of course I do. It's yes. and, and but then yes. the rest of the game, to me at least, felt a lot more like a standard fight aliens in space kind of affair, which seemed odd given that 3D Realms themselves specifically stated that they wanted to make something that was categorically not that. Uh,
2: yeah. I mean, episode three does feature an abortion clinic and extremely poor taste. That so line, that okay. happened to it a little bit. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> But uh, F- episode one, I mean, you are right. It does lean more into the direct titillation. And I think that you're, you're completely
0: correct on that point. I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I think just to put it because you're all right. It is over the top. It is supposed to be shareware but uh, this is that's always how it works i mean there's so many games where it brings you in with this over-the-topness and it's just absurdity and then it just becomes more of a traditional you know a more traditional game within its own genre because at the end of the day that's what you're really trying to make right you're trying to make a good game
1: i mean sure but i just feel like if that was the selling point they i I, and I, i feel weird for even arguing for this but like I feel like they should have just kept carrying that on through the rest of the game, like just really continue leaning into your fucking shtick instead of like almost doing a little bit of a bait and switch where it's just like, oh, look how fucking edgy this is. And then the other two episodes of the game are just like, you're on a space station.
0: But I don't think it's I don't think it's that edgy. I, I don't think the first episode was that I understand in 96. It was comparatively. Yeah. But I don't think it's that terribly edgy. I think you spend a lot of your time not doing edgy shit and not doing crazy stuff because you are on Earth. So you think on Earth, yeah, there's strippers and and all these things like this on Earth when you go into strip clubs and porno sites, but then you don't. And if 3D Realms didn't want to do that, they did. Oh, well. But you say it's totally inconsistent with their overall view. I say it's it's consistent with, with the flow of the plot, even if it's not tonally consistent with what they're aiming to do in episode one.
2: I also think you're maybe underestimating the impact of having w- naked women in cocoons and basically chained <laughs> to the walls.
1: I surrounded that's by that's true. Green goo
2: because that shit nowadays, like it doesn't even register a blink with how low resolution it is. But at the time, there was tremendous shock value in, in that kind of, you know, depiction of basically women held in bondage. Right. Yep. So uh, while I kind of get what you're getting at, I don't think it strays to, I, I think that yes, it, it takes a bit of a backseat to how full on it was going in like literally the first three levels, <laughs> but I think that it, it it remains from from start to finish.
0: Yeah. I tend to agree. Speaking about things that remain from start to finish, because I think we've, we've talked about the gameplay long enough here. Uh, let's talk about how this game has held up graphically mm. and I think I'm going to start off on this one because I've only played the 20th anniversary edition and the Saturn edition. So I don't think I have much to speak about the original one. And I say yeah, it holds up great for a game from this era. I think it still looks good. But again, I'm getting the souped up version. So I'll have to defer to you two on how the original one holds up. I'll shift over to Patrick here. Uh, Patrick, What? how do you think this game holds up today in terms of graphics and how does it look? So, this is probably one of the
2: hardest things for me to objectively evaluate <laughs> because i played this game for years when I was younger, right? Right. I have to say, I really like the look of this game. I think that uh, one of the things that really stands out about it is how colourful it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, you, you're playing this game and you get such a huge array of, of colour palettes, which, which is one of the big things that distinguish it from Quake, which released just a few months later. And listen, I love Quake's aesthetic. I love its commitment to establishing an atmosphere but that game is like shades of brown and blue and dark green the entire way from start to finish. It was
1: ahead of its time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was. Yeah.
1: Gears of war before gears of war.
2: I really don't think that's a bad thing, by the way, like I'm not here to bash on Quake. I think that Quake's music and, um, and color palette does lend it a particular atmosphere. That's pretty, pretty damn good. One I actually enjoy, but Duke 3d, I think a big part of its ability to sell, The places that exist is its commitment to color, and color is a huge part of helping establish its personality. I think the game looks great, particularly the enemies you fight still look fantastic to me to this day. Although I still don't quite know what an enforcer actually looks like, whether it's meant to be a bug person or or what. (laughs) But that's because I had to fucking kill those chain gunner guys almost immediately or I'd get torn to shreds.
1: Fair. Yeah, I think I'd probably just echo a lot of the same sentiments. I think one of the nice things about this era of FPS is that it benefits from straddling that line between old 2D era and then fully 3D polygonal games. Whereas, as we've brought Mm -hmm. up multiple times on this show, that first wave of polygonal titles maybe doesn't hold up super well. Speaking of Goldeneye. Right, (laughs) exactly. When your character model consists of a grand total of like six polygons, it tends to look like shit. Build engine games and other ones of this era still look decent today because you get that you know, pseudo three-dimensional environment. So you're, you still get a lot of texture work there, which was done very well. And then you also get your 2d sprites for, you know, all of your enemies, your items, as well as your, your own hands and weapons. And all of those things were done extremely well. So uh, yeah, to that point, granted, I also have a whole lot of nostalgia that's going into this for this era of FPS, But I think that they do still benefit from from the same thing that a lot of two dimensional sprite based games get to benefit from, which is that they age actually pretty gracefully, all things considered. (laughs) All right. So I think that pretty much covers the discussion regarding how this game was presented visually. But of course, we like to talk about the auditory component of the games that we discuss. And so Let's touch a little bit on the the soundtrack and the sound design that went into Duke Nukem. So I'm actually going to go ahead and have Chris start off with this one. So what were your thoughts on how Duke Nukem sounds?
0: I I actually didn't notice any of the music at all. I know it was there. And when it was there, I didn't think of anything negative about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think anything positive about it. In fact, like uh, doing research for this episode, apparently the Title song Grab Bag was supposed to be one of the most notable songs from this game. So much to the point that like Megadeth made a studio recording of it, Mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. a cover of it. I don't know. I just wasn't terribly impressed by it, but I'm just not terribly impressed by a lot of first person shooters in terms of their music, except for maybe Doom, because it's just always in your face. And that wasn't the case here. It, It seems like it tried to be atmospheric without being atmospheric. I don't know. It's it's kind of like one of those feelings I get with it. It's like it it's there because it needs to be there and it's not intrusive. So that's good enough. And I, I can appreciate that. But in terms of the other sound design, I didn't have an issue with it. I think the rest of the sound design was was fantastic in terms of how the guns sounded, in terms of how enemies fell, in terms of what Duke had to say. I know you said it gets repetitive, but I didn't think so. I thought every single time he spoke, it was was fine. I didn't think it was weird every single time you paused the game that he made a grunt or some weird sound came out. But whatever, it's just (laughs) part of it. I do like the fact that when you're trying to look for secret areas, he he kind of makes fun of you. Yeah. And says like, oh, where is it? Like, oh, okay. So you know exactly what's going on because this happens all the time in all these other first-person shooter games of this era. But I do appreciate the voice work. I think John St. John did a fantastic job as Duke. I, I think all the enemies make fantastic noises when you kill them. So there's there's not really any complaints I have about it. It's not stellar, but it does the job more than more than adequately. And so I I, I gotta. Put it on that. So good job to it. I like it.
1: That is a solid middle of the road assessment. I know, right? It's it's right there. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and get my thoughts out of the way. We'll let Patrick kind of wrap this portion. So I agree that I think the music is, is fine. They were going for a little bit more of an atmospheric approach in a lot of these levels, and some of them actually were very evocative of the more atmospheric tracks that you got from Doom, at least to me. They sounded fairly similar in a lot of ways, which is not a bad thing. It was, surprisingly, not necessarily as in-your-face as one might expect, especially with how bombastic Duke himself is as a personality, but I think, for the most part, it works. As far as the sound design is concerned, I actually had well, really one issue. The rest of it, I think, was solid, um, pretty competent. I, I liked all of the the gun sound effects. I will say that I do, tying back to what I said earlier about feel. Some of them, I do feel like I wish that they had a little bit more, a little more chutzpah in there. Like maybe a little bit more, a little more bass or something. It, it needed something. Because I felt like there wasn't as much impact on a lot of those weapons as I would have liked. But they were fine. The one thing that I wanted to point out that was just, it got me every single time. And I, I, I don't know why this is. But I, I don't recall what the name of them are. But the the floating head creatures that shoot those like glowing projectiles at you. octobrains. Sure, that's probably it. Yeah. Their sound effects are like noticeably louder than every other enemy in the whole game. And I don't know why that is, but who boy, if you're playing this game with headphones on, which I was for most of it, I had it at a pretty, you know, comfortable level for pretty much everything else in the game. And then anytime one of these motherfuckers came along and shot it, it was like, I was getting my eardrums blown out. So there was a balancing issue there outside of that. I, I really don't have that many complaints. I don't know, what about you, Patrick? What were your thoughts?
2: Honestly, when it comes to music, I basically agree with you. The music was a lot more understated than I remembered. And I think that a large part of that is that the title track is like, is, is a rock piece. Like you mm-hmm. can hear the electric guitars slamming. And when I whenever I fire it up, whenever I think of Duke 3D, it's that one that I think of. Then again, to the actual game. And as you said, it's, it's much closer to Doom's uh, track, a lot more pensive and moody mm-hmm. as you move through. <laughs> Which is, which is different from what the modern take on Boomer Shooters does. Like if you play Dusk, <laughs> Nightmare Reaper, even a Medieval, their soundtracks are far, far more bombastic, you know, whether it's slamming you with electric guitars or there's just a lot more going on orchestrally. So like you guys, a lot of the time I wasn't even aware that the music was playing, probably because the sound effects are so large. When it comes to sound, yeah, I think it does a good job. The one sound effect that I want to uh, elevate on a pedestal is the basic uh, troopers, if you kill them but only barely, I I don't quite know how it works, but if you're not giving them, if you're kind of like doing a little bit of damage to them, Mm -hmm. they kind of get down on their knees and they're like, as their head shakes back and forth, you know, their lungs obviously filling with blood. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved that animation and sound effect as they violently and horrifically eventually die and collapse onto the ground so big fan of that big fan big fan of that sound effect but yeah i I think middle of the road is a is a good place to land on juke 3d sound
1: well that's you know that's just the perfect opportunity to run up and mighty foot them right in the face exactly
0: yeah
2: very satisfying (laughs) to do so oh activated the other one is if you shoot them If they kind of, like, take enough damage, they'll fall from the sky if they're jetpacking around. And then they fall onto the ground with a sickening crack. And that kills them. Once again, very satisfying. I hope you don't find any of this is revealing anything too disturbing about my personality. But <laughs> I'm a big fan of this ultra violence in, in video games. And I think G3D does a pretty good job glorifying it.
0: I actually agree with you. I am with your personality. So maybe we're all disturbed and the people listening to us need to be very, yeah. very afraid. Perhaps. Nah, they're into it. <laughs> yeah, we do have a dick track. <laughs> all right. So we have some miscellaneous stuff. That we want to talk about before we close this show out. Patrick, you have some things you would like to share about this game, so why don't you go ahead and tell us some miscellaneous information about Duke Nukem 3D?
2: I guess the only real piece of miscellaneous information I have is kind of not directly about Duke 3D, but it's what I view as the spiritual successor to this game, the modern version of Duke 3D. If you want to try something a bit more streamlined and modern before going back to the old or if you enjoyed the old and want to try something new and that's Iron Fury. Mm -hmm. Iron Fury it's a spiritual successor to Duke 3D and build engine games it's made by 3D Realms I'm not sure how many of the original team are involved but clearly at least some of them because remarkably in today's day and age they were still using the bloody build engine and What they achieve with Iron Fury and the build engine beggars belief. The build engine is a piece of janky crap. Like (laughs) it, it really is. They basically were able to simulate 3D space by putting shitloads of teleporters all over the place. So when you're playing in these supposedly 3D spaces, you're just constantly moving through teleporters. And sometimes it's noticeable, sometimes it's not. I think Iron Fury dramatically improves on the gunplay of Duke 3D. I think that In some cases, it does lose the brilliant compact level design of the game, but it does trade off by having, you know, card keys that are far easier to find. So even though the levels are much larger and expansive to brawl in, it's much easier to move and flow through these levels a little bit less confusing. Um, I think Iron Fury is a great game. If you like Duke 3D or are kind of put off by the older take on it, Iron Fury will be a fantastic experience from start to finish. And I highly recommend it. Hmm. Have, have either of you dabbled in it
1: at all? I actually, I was just going to say, I I wholeheartedly second that I actually played Ion Fury on our stream, uh, I think a month or two ago. Uh, now. Cool. You did. Yeah. Yeah. So no, definitely a solid game for sure. So if you have any affection for boomer shooters, or if you just want to check it out, as Patrick said, and you don't want to go all the way back, um, it's a fantastic entry point. For
0: sure. I can't echo anything because I'm I am scum and I hate first person. (laughs) 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 All right. So for my miscellaneous stuff, I'm just going to kind of bring up some some interesting things that I found is that this game got 10 expansion packs. So many. Yes. Mm -hmm. Nuke it. Duke it out in D.C. Duke Caribbean. Life's a beach. Duke Nuclear Winter. Duke Zone and Zone 2. Duke Extreme. Duke Assault. Duke Nukem's Penthouse Paradise. And Duke, it's zero hour, which apparently is made by people at zero hour, mm-hmm. whatever that is. I'm sure you two know. So, this game has been repackaged 10 times just for the PC version. And those versions are the Plutonium Pack, also known as the Atomic Edition, the Mac version, because, you know, Mac's just a repackaging because it's not a real PC anyway. True. East meets <laughs> West, Duke, the Apocalypse, part one and two, a Killathon collection, the GOG version, which doesn't exist anymore, which, you know, I'll. Probably talk about whether it holds up today, which kind of pissed me off because it got delisted in 2015. The Megaton edition, the Kiloton 2015 collection and the 20th anniversary world tour edition, which is the only version you can legally obtain today. So, yeah, this game like 3D Realms has tapped the shit out of it. It's probably made them a ton of money. I can't necessarily blame them. But yeah, there's that. Shane.
1: Yeah, I've actually got one thing. Um, I, I did not yeah. put it in our notes, but I did find it interesting because it was something that I remember thinking about back then when I first played this and also apparently totally forgot about and then thought of it all over again when I was playing it again for the show. And that was, is there a way to actually save the babes? Because In Duke Nukem, you can't really actually save the ones that are like, you know, trapped in goo or chained up or whatever. You basically just need to put them out of their misery by shooting them them in the face. Yeah, I kick them. And the answer to that is most of the time, no, unless you are playing the Nintendo 64 version. Um, I'm not sure if that was like a concession that they made for Nintendo or some shit where they were just like, well, you you need to be able to save the babes. You can't just murder them in cold blood so in that version of the game and perhaps one other one i can't recall but definitely the n64 version you do have the ability to save them so fun
0: fact hooray saving babes
2: the only thing i'd mention about all of the different versions and everything is the way i played the game was there's a source port called ejuke 32 mm-hmm. and all you have to do is obtain you know a totally legitimate copy of the juke 3d the equivalent of the wad Put it in that source box, you know, folder, and then you can play the game. I think it's a ver- whatever version of the game you choose. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I'd highly recommend all our listeners do: obtain your 100 legitimate <laughs> copy of that WAD, put it in the EJukes 32s folder, and then you're good to go. And the experience will be wonderful.
1: True. I, I was fortunate, I guess, enough to uh, have bought the Megaton Edition on Steam before that got also delisted. So. That is the version that I happened to play this time around. It included a lot of extras and stuff that I'm not sure were available in other versions and is not available for purchase anymore. So that's fun.
2: And uh, if you want to listen to a wonderful content creator, go over these games. I highly recommend Civi. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Civi, but he does a lot of uh, YouTube videos on these old boomer shooters. Mm. Big fan of his content. And um, he, he's done a video on each of the Duke 3D episodes. How do you spell Civi? Uh, C-I-V-V-I-E. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about it, he's big into the history of
0: these games and breaking them down in great detail. So I uh, recommend his stuff. Good deal. I guess this is the time that we are going to close out this show and we're going to discuss whether or not this holds up today. So, Shane, I'm going to have you kick it off Mm. before our guest Patrick has the final word. So, Shane, does does Dick Nukem 3D hold up today?
1: Hmm. Well, issues with actually obtaining a copy of the game aside, (laughs) because that's sort of a thing in its own right. But as Patrick mentioned, there are ways to do that um does it hold up is it something that somebody could go back and play today and have a good time i would say yes i don't know i I guess i would say yes to a lot of fps's in this era just because i mean i'm biased of course but to me i still think that they're a lot of fun to play and to patrick's earlier point when we were talking about how this game feels when you play it it's something that was lost along the way in developers constant, you know, effort to try to make things feel more realistic. In some cases, I guess that's fine, but you know, I don't know about the rest of you, but part of the reason I play video games is to get out of reality. <laughs> so, if I can slide around a level at superhuman speed and jump twice the height that any normal man can jump i am totally fucking for that and that's a part of the reason why a lot of these older shooters are just so fun to go back and play i am glad that there are a lot of more modern takes on this Um, i actually just played one called hellbound on our stream fairly recently i think i got it in a bundle probably the boomer shooter bundle unsurprisingly yeah, I don't know. I think that's a that's a style of gameplay, particularly in first-person shooters, that I think is really underrepresented nowadays, and I, I think we would do well to have more of it, because it's just fun. And ultimately, I think that's what's most important. And issues aside, with you know maybe some pacing, some level design things, stuff like that, on the whole, Duke Nukem is still fun to play. And so for those reasons, I, I would say yes, I think it still holds up.
0: So this is how I'm going to start this out. I hate first-person shooters, so everything I'm about to say, take with a <laughs> grain of salt. And my initial statements on whether or not Duke Nukem 3D holds up is, I have no fucking idea, because you can't <laughs> get the original game anywhere. Because I had to play the 20th anniversary edition, because everywhere else I went, I couldn't find a copy. It's not on GOG, it's not on Steam, and of course you can't play an old game on a modern PC with original... You know, media, assuming that your PC even has the capability to accept original media. So, in many ways, I I can't say whether or not it does, I can tell you the closest thing I've experienced to playing the original is the version on the Saturn, which was masterfully crafted by lobotomy software. And I can tell you that game sure as shit has not held up and you need to stay far the fuck away <laughs> from that piece of shit. Uh. It was probably great when it first came out, but the fact that you can't save unless you're at the very end of the level or, you know, there's the precision shooting and the fact that you don't have a dual analog controller. Yeah, it sucks. Now, in terms of the 20th anniversary collection, I I'm going to give it a soft yes. And, and here's the reason it's because they put in so much time and love and crafting to make sure that Duke Nukem 3D is playable today. So if you die, you can rewind to a spot that you're comfortable starting back off of. In fact, that's the first option they give you. If you die, they have the entire time that you've been in the level and you can go back to a spot where you were at, like on a time signature and start playing it again. The controls are mapped to modern control situations. There's a lot of additional features and quality of life improvements that they've made to the game that you can play it. So in its most modern iteration, which is the 20th anniversary edition, which is on Steam, which all you have to do is wait for a sale and pay for $2 for it instead of the absurd $20 it's asking from you uh, for this 25 year old game, which probably should be about $5 on GOG, which apparently it's not. You will have a pretty good time. Yes, I have my issues with the level design, which is why I give it a soft yes. I don't like looking for key cards. I don't like looking for switches. I don't like enemies that somehow can immediately track onto me and shoot me before I even know what to do with a shotgun that needs to be. Uh, precise, and if I'm just a cut hair off, I'm fucking dead. I don't like that, but I am terrible at first-person shooters, and I realize other people are much better than I am. And if I'm recommending this to a first-person shooter fan, I would have to say yes. The most modern iteration of Duke Nukem 3D holds up; it does hold up today. Can't speak to the original, but I will say the one that was closest to it fucking sucks. <laughs> that's all I have. That's so it's it's take it as you will on my opinion. So Patrick, you got the final word. Uh, so, on balance with this game, I would recommend it, yes.
2: Although it's interesting, after playing playing through it, it ranks a bit lower in terms, of, uh, in terms of my rankings of these FPS games from this era. I would put it below Plutonia Experiment, I'd put it below Quake, and I'd put it below Blood after playing through that. And I think that a large part of that is due to the you know, the basic fundamental gameplay of Juke 3D, shooting guys and using the weapons, which just wasn't as fun as I was hoping. It was pretty good. I had a pretty decent time with it. But in terms of moving around, shooting enemies and all that kind of stuff, it just falls a little flat compared to those titles, where I think Juke 3D still excels to this day. And this is finding secret access key cards aside, which I recognize as a legitimate complaint, something that obviously I didn't struggle with as much because I remembered the levels. I think that Duke 3D does a fantastic job with this level design, fitting an enormous amount of dense, interesting encounters into a fairly small space. And I really love how the levels kind of wrap in on themselves with shortcuts that open either because you obtain an item or because a wall blows up, you see a vent and it takes you to an area you haven't been before uh, because a wall slides open, um, giving a new perspective on the terrain. I think it does a lot to put a lot of interesting stuff within a very small space. Which I think is the best way to do these kinds of FPS games. So does it have its issues? Is it more a little bit more medium than I remembered? Yes. But the fundamentals are so good. The movement around the levels, the shooting's pretty good, the level design is great, that I can easily recommend this today. It's a good game and you'll enjoy playing it even, you know, more than 25 years later.
1: All right. And you know All what's right. funny is that, uh, truth be told, with, you know, cards on the table, I was initially prepared to come into this episode and totally shit on this game whoa after spending more time you know playing through more of it again going through the whole thing again because it had been a while and then taking a moment to really reflect on it that's kind of where i landed with where i am now i didn't think i was going to end this episode by recommending it but but i did Same. (laughs) So, uh, all right, well that kind of wraps our discussion for Duke Nukem 3D. So before we launch into our typical spiel, we always like to give our esteemed guest a moment to, uh, let the folks know uh, at home where they can be found. So Patrick, what is it that you do on the internet and where can people find you?
2: Well, firstly, I just want to thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Um, we had you on the show not too long ago for Diablo 2, which was an awesome episode. Uh, one of going really well. So I really appreciate that. I value the opportunity to be able to talk about this game here. Uh, It's one that I am somewhat nostalgic for, so I was always scared of doing it for my show and having it torn apart and (laughs) having to tear apart it myself. It's a really, really great opportunity. So thanks, guys. uh, uh, Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. What we do is we're called the Retrospectives Podcast. Uh, We do something similar to the Retro Hangover, although perhaps even more critically. We throw our nostalgia goggles in the trash and we play uh, classic games of the past with the intention of doing like deep dive critiques on them to see if they've stood the test of time. I'd say there's like two main things that I really like about our show. The first is when we get to tear things people love to shreds (laughs) as they rightfully deserve to be done because people do live in nostalgia bubbles a lot of time. But even more than that, I love identifying when these old games still have lessons that, you know, maybe have been forgotten to history. And I can think of no better example of a game that does that than Resident Evil. I I know Resident Evil isn't some underground franchise, but I played it for the first time a year ago. And on paper, it's like a list of some of the worst design decisions combined. (laughs) It's got tank controls. It's got a fixed camera. It's got a limited inventory system, like a ridiculously limited inventory system, six items. Saves are tied to items. Uh, It's got like multiple different key types that you need to carry around if you want to have access to the place. On paper, it's a disaster. And in fact, in moving forwards, games eschewed these systems. They said, oh, we've moved on from this. But Resident Evil, is one of the best games I've played in my entire life because all of those things come together to form something incredible and discovering that about a game that old that no one has really emulated today was something wonderful. So, we do love critiquing these old games but we also do love discovering when these games do something special. And Resident Evil was without a doubt one of the most special ex- experiences of my gaming life. So if you wanna come check us out, if you if that sounds like something you'd be keen on, all of our content is on our website, which is rspodcast.net. And hopefully uh, these guys are kind enough to chuck a link in the show notes to it. Um, And yeah, come check us out. We've got all our social media stuff, rspodcast.net.
1: Fantastic. And I will say that you'd be doing yourselves a disservice if you don't check out their show because it is quality. And not only that, if you do head over to their website, which will be in the show notes, you also get the bonus of having a lot of really great written content they put together, too. They had a fantastic article about Diablo that I very much enjoyed. Mm. And I will say that I I also was thoroughly pleased to be on the show uh, for the Diablo 2 discussion because I really liked getting both of your perspectives on it. It was a refreshing take, so uh, I I really had a good time. So I would highly suggest people go check that out as well. And as far as we are concerned, if you are here, then that means that you found us. So hello. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Hi. If you'd (laughs) like to engage with the show uh, outside of just letting it sort of pass into your ear holes... Then you can do that, and not only that, but we make it easy for you. You can head on over to Linktree slash Retro Hangover to uh, check out all of the RHP-related destinations, whether that happens to be our socials or our YouTube channel or the Patreon or merch store if you would like to support the show in that fashion, as well as
0: the Twitch streams. So, Chris, what do we do on Twitch? So if you're paying attention to our Twitch streams, you know, we play a lot of Lunar, which I think is Patrick's favorite game (laughs) of all time. Oh
2: my God. Uh, Let's (laughs) listen. If you don't mind, I'll put the link to my Lunar article in the show notes as well. I'll probably be instantly hated by about half of your listeners, but maybe the other half will be on my side. So I'll, I'll take half.
0: That's fair. Okay. If you want to go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover, you can find out whether or not Shane's going to agree with Patrick Mm. because we, we play a lot of Lunar there. Uh, if we're not playing Lunar, we're playing something that relates to uh, just gaming in general. We're playing something. So twitch.tv slash retro hangover over on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern time. That's us. twitch.tv slash retro hangover for Sunday streams at 9 p.m. Eastern time. U.S. I hope to see you there.
1: Fantastic. And I suppose, with all of that being said, until next time.
0: Play with your, do I really got to make a joke for Duke Nukem 3D joystick thing? Joysticks. (laughs) Don't have time to play with myself. (laughs) Keep that in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee, and Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors, like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space, or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly B-I-T slash rhpbones. That's bitly dot slash